1: welcome to the night nerd podcast i'm your host lance it's thursday so we're gonna do a little bit of history i uh, i know the show is going to plate. i had a big powerful show planned um i was gonna go through like all the names of black people have been killed by cops through you know violence uh brutality and things but honestly i just i couldn't get through it um There's not enough editing in the world, especially at my skill level, that that was going to be a good show. Um, So I instead wanted to kind of spin off of yesterday's show, where we talked about some amazing black comic creators. And a while back, I was fortunate enough to have Brian Edward Hill on my show, and we talked uh, about Batman and Titans and just all sorts of stuff all over the place. So please enjoy that interview. All right, we are here with Brian Hill, the man taking over Detective Comics this summer. Uh, Brian, how are you doing today, sir?
0: I'm great. How are you?
1: Doing well. Thank you again so much for being on the show. We're not only excited to have you here, but we're really excited about your upcoming run and things.
0: Oh, awesome! Awesome. Um, you know, it's 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 really cool to do work that gets people excited about talking to you about the work. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great benefit to working on things that people are interested in. So I love podcasts. I'm happy to be.
1: Here. Oh, awesome. Um, and we're not the only ones, I mean, that are excited about things. You also have a very, very solid um, indie rep. You know, you're working uh, just all across with Postal and Bonehead, um, stuff with Witchblade and everything you you've built this amazing and loyal fan base that I see on Twitter like every day. And it's, it's really cool. So we're really glad, like I said, to to have you here.
0: Well, you know, reading is a personal experience, right? So I think talking to a person that wrote a book that you've read is a little different than other forms of entertainment in a way, you know, because reading is something you do on your own terms, in your own way. It, It, it's linked up to kind of who you are. So I try to make sure that everyone who talks to me online, kind of regardless of what political affiliation they have or, you know, where they come from, you know, geographically or any of that, I try to make sure everyone has a positive experience Uh, because I never want to bum somebody out with like an acerbic tweet, you know, or like a mean rant or something. Because I can think if I was a, a fan or a reader and I, went into a store, and I spent my money on someone's book, and I was like, oh, you know, I like this book. I thought this was interesting. <laughs> and then I logged in to Twitter, and I, and I looked at their Twitter feed, and it was just daggers, just a timeline of daggers. That would really bum me out, and it would disconnect me from the material. And so ultimately, I want everyone to have the best experience reading my stories as possible. So I treat Twitter as a way to kind of reach out and, and answer questions and maybe even give some perspective that might help people if they're trying to forge a creative career, you know, what have you. It's been a really really awesome experience. I mean, I've got a lot of followers from different walks of life with different points of view and, you know, there's very little rudeness. We don't argue. We just kind of all sort of talk about the things we enjoy. Sort of like, you know, the things that we have in common more than the things that separate us, I suppose.
1: Nice. Bless you. More people need to be like you. If you if you're listening out there and you're on Twitter, be like this gentleman here. That just that needs to happen. <laughs> uh, but speaking of Twitter, there are, We have somebody, uh, Dylan Gilbertson, had a question. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I I talked to Dylan a
1: couple times. Okay. Um, He says, he asked, In Postal, Brian did an amazing job forging a believable redemption arc for Rowan, a character who'd done some disgusting and unforgivable Mm. things. Mm. Can you think of any existing character in fiction who is objectively beyond redemption? Mm.
0: Beyond redemption, wow. Um you know that's that's a difficult question for him because I, I, I am a big believer in the potential for redemption um, and you know you you can pick your your sociopaths your psychopaths right but those are people that have disorders so you can't really redeem a person that's never been deemed <laughs> if that makes any sense yeah yeah <laughs> you know so like you know so i can't really speak to those types of characters um I mean, the mind turns to Senator Palpatine. You know, I'm I'm not sure Palpatine is a character that can be redeemed. I think too much of Palpatine is defined by his desire for power. And I think if you get rid of, you know, the maniacal aspects of him, I'm not sure there's anything left. You know, I mean, that's the way he's articulated in Star Wars. He's a character that I think might have pulled himself too far from love and compassion to ever recognize either of those things in his own heart. So I guess that'll be my question. Senator Palpatine is beyond redemption. Emperor Palpatine. Darth Sidious. Choose the name.
1: Uh, I like it. I uh not a Star Wars person, but now I like I want to go back and revisit and be like, oh yeah, this guy Well not redemption good really
0: matters to me. Like I remember the Batman the Animated Series. Uh, um, a two-part episode with with Two Face, where he becomes Two Face, mm-hmm. you know, and and there's I think it's in the beginning of the second half of it. And Batman's sitting at the Batcave, and he's looking at all the stuff, and he feels responsible for it because he feels responsible for everything. And he's like, Harvey, I don't know what dreams you're having, peaceful dreams or nightmares, but I will save you. And it's like that's kind of my thing, you know, is trying to figure out. What, what's the candle flame inside of a person that I can relate to and for, for Rowan with Postal I spoke to a lot of people in the white supremacy movement people that had left the movement and people that were still in it uh, and uh, did my research and those were difficult conversations but it helped me humanize the quote unquote monsters I guess mm-hmm. which I think is part of the thing you can do as a writer and the beautiful part about being a writer is that you can experience things without judgment if you let yourself do that and you can you can keep like chronicle that experience into your work, you know. Um, and Postal is a book about a bunch of characters who've done things that are illegal and shameful and and violent. The kind of you know like Black Widow talks about in uh, the first Avengers movie about having red in the ledger. Well, everyone in Postal has red in the ledger, right? And that's what makes it interesting because no one is holier than another in that story. So, so yeah. Um, you know, it's just a hard question for me to answer, but I'll go with Palpatine. But in general, I, I am a believer in redemption.
1: Nice, yeah, and I I think that is something that's really interesting. You know, you hit on that if a character's not redeemable, you know, it's you, like you said, it's kind of hard to see them or relate to them and see where they can go if it's just one thing. So uh, I think, yeah, humanizing, uh, like, you, like you said you did for a while, Rowan, is something really neat. But talking about that, you know, and this world you created in Postal, you know, it's a nice, tight world, you know, you're there for all of it. Well, in, um, here, actually, when this airs, um, Detective Comics is coming out, and you're issue 980, I mean, you're way up there. So how is that different, you know, getting to create something from the ground up to being like, hey... Here's his mythos here is 70 some odd years of history uh, as a writer how do you how do you approach those
0: Well specifically in the case of detective comics you know I have been a tremendous fan of Batman since I was a little kid you know and I uh, I mean Batman was really what kept me in comics for a long time you know I was a uh, you know a shadow of the bat guy a lens of the dark, dark night guy you know Batman Detective, and I have long boxes back in my home in St. Louis that are just full of Batman stuff. I still have a scrapbook with the ticket stumps from the June 23rd, 1989 Batman premiere because I saw it in St. Louis. They came out, saw a matinee, and I saw an evening show afterwards. Only movie <laughs> that I saw a matinee, walked out, bought a ticket to the evening show, got a sandwich across the street, came back and watched the movie again, right? So, in the case of the Detective. Uh, Batman is a character that means so much to me that I felt very fluent coming into the world, at least when it, when it came to understanding Bruce. Mm-hmm. Now, what I did have to catch up on was all of the great work that James Tiny and the Fourth had been doing um, that was going to lead into this issue, because I hadn't been reading it regularly for about six to eight months or so. I just got terribly busy. I was working on um, <clears throat> the Titans TV series. I was working on a screenplay assignment, working on my own books, and, you know, I just couldn't read everything. So I wasn't immediately aware of all the moves that James had made in the story. So I had to catch up on that stuff for sure. But, you know, when I read it, it still fit very much into the ways I see Gotham and how the world operates and all of that stuff. So I was able to get my rhythm very quickly, I think, with that world. Now, that's a very particular case where, um, you know, I'm probably one of the world's biggest Batman fans. Um, so I, I have a lot of time I've put into the character. I mean, I'm looking at my Batman action figure standing on top of my speaker right now. Right. Now, if I was coming into something, um, that I don't know a great deal about, um, for instance, black lightning is in the arc of the type of comics that I, that I, that I'm doing. And, I didn't know a great deal about Black Lightning, not from the comics. I mean, I'd seen a few episodes of the show because they write downstairs from us on Titans. So I was semi-familiar with what they were doing on the TV series. But the Black Lightning in the comics is a much younger version of that character. You know, in the comics, he seems like he's in his early 30s tops. And on the show, he seems like a guy that's in his early 40s. Mm-hmm. You know, That's 10-year difference, and it's an important 10 years. So I... Didn't know a lot, and I and I'd read, you know, Isabella's recent miniseries, and uh, looked at some of the stuff from the '70s. But in in that case, because there's not a entire shelf, there aren't full volumes. There's no Black Lightning Year One, you know, Lightning Lightning, the Dark Lightning Returns. Like you don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't have Lightning Asylum. Like you just don't have any of that work to go on you have to invent a lot of it for yourself you know you have to make it live in your own way and it's a lot like an actor approaching um a theater script or something you know uh you you have to kind of create a backstory you know you got to figure out how the character thinks and and speaks and and operates and you know how however you can make it real for yourself you know is how you have to do it so that's the biggest difference when you're coming into a narrative world that you did not create. You have to kind of fit your point of view, your perspective into what's already there, you know? Because I think you, I, I, I do believe you got to humble yourself a little bit to the people that love a character. So it would never be my intention to come into a situation and just turn the whole boat over because I didn't like a couple characters, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Christopher Priest has a great quote. He says, if you if you're coming into a coming into a story, someone else's story, and you don't like the characters, don't kill them. Just put them on a bus, right? <laughs> and and so that's sort of my philosophy. Like if I don't get a character, um, then I just kind of don't use them. But I don't want to do anything that becomes canon that one irritates the fans of that character, and then two would make it more difficult for the next. Fella or, or lady who's writing the book to be able to engage that character, right? So, you know, you do have to remember in those situations that you are part of an ongoing mythology, and while you want to be unique and honest and certainly dedicated to the story you want to tell, I think just for the you know sake of being polite, you want to make sure that you're bridging backwards to the work that's gone before you and that you're also not leaving the house in disarray when you're done.
1: Right. Uh, Grant Morrison has a good quote about, you know, you these are your toys, but at the end of the day, you have to put them back in the toy box, you know, for like, the next you know kid the to play your
0: with. Toys, you know I mean? You can do anything you want to do with them, you know? But at the end of the day, you got to put the toys back in the toy box, you know? Um. Yeah. So, yeah. Grant's right. Grant's right about most things. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah. You know what I What do you mean? Argue with
1: Grant Morrison? Yeah. No, he's right. Grant's right. Um. Uh, on that, talking about you know looking at uh, Black Lightning and the characters that James brought in and everything, I think something that's cool about Detective Comics that both he did and uh, from solicitations you're, you're doing is you're able to play with that team dynamic, that family dynamic. You know, you mentioned mm, putting somebody yeah. on a bus or bringing somebody in. Uh, I know in Black Lightning's coming in. Uh, solicitations show that we have. Uh, Orphan and Signal, I believe, uh, was in one of them. Uh, How is that, you know, getting to kind of build your team? Are there characters, is it just as a fan, you're like, ooh, I really want to write this character, even if they're just popping in and saying something, or is it more, okay, this character, I mean, this character would probably serve the story better, even if it is somebody I'm not as familiar with. How does that go about putting together that, that team?
0: Yeah, well, when DC approached me about doing an Ark detective, they asked me you know, if I was interested in having Black Lightning be part of the story. And I was like, yeah, that could be pretty cool. Um, because Bruce is a character that has surrounded himself with, I think, high-risk youth, if you're going to use a very broad, general term, right? Like, he tends to have uh, very extreme young people kind of in his charge. And if you look at Jefferson Pierce, Black Lightning, you know, as a superhero, he tends to work alone, but as an educator, he deals with high-risk youth all the time. You know, those are the kids that are in his school. You know, he's not in, he's not the you know, the, the teacher in a, uh, in the shiniest school in Metropolis. He's in, he's in a school that's in like the shadows created by like the Luthor Tower, you know? So I thought, well, that would be an interesting thing. To have a character like that bring his perspective into Batman's world, right? Like, how would Jefferson Pierce look at what Bruce is doing? Would he approve of it? Uh, would he think it's reckless? You know, would he have made the same choices if he had Bruce's resources, or would he have tried to help these these young people not become what he is? I thought those were all really interesting questions. And so when it came to the members of the family, you know, uh, I can't go into everyone who's in there, but I can <laughs> confirm that Duke is is in the story, that uh, Cassandra Kane, orphan, is in the narrative. Um, you know, those, those two characters interest me because I think they have the most potential to make great triumphs and great mistakes. And those are the characters that I'm really drawn to. I've always been fascinated with Cassandra Cain. Um, Just the idea of a character who expresses herself through physicality, you know, principally. And the idea that you'd have to trade some of your fighting perfection for the ability to communicate with words. You know, I never considered that that way. I was always drawn to that, even from the early Damian Scott, I think it was uh, Kelly Puckett was writing on that. Um, You know, the first uh, introduction of that character into the world. And so, yeah, I, I... I wanted to take these volatile characters and kind of put them all together at the same time, test them with a villain who kind of gets at the the central question for me, which is, can Batman be Batman while he's taking care of and growing his own bat family? Or does the existence of the bat family forever change what Batman is? And so... That's the question that I think is at the heart of this story. And it's Bruce coming to an understanding of that, Jefferson coming to an understanding of that, and the villain kind of testing the idea of it on on the skillet, you know, and and creating a lot of pressure and consequence for everyone that participates and for Gotham City itself.
1: Nice, yeah, we're, we're real excited about it. All of us here, and I was talking to people at my local comic shop and uh, a lot of people really excited about the arc and.
0: What's what's your local comic shop? Let's shout them out right now. Uh, some business.
1: It is Starbucks and Comics in Lubbock, Texas. Been around for over forty years. Um, my, in my opinion, one of the best local comic shops, but they Wait, are Lubbock, phenomenal.
0: Lubbock, Texas. Was that the city that that sitcom was set in? Like just the ten of us? Wasn't that in Lubbock, Texas? Um,
1: Remember I don't know. I know we're the home. We're like the home of Buddy Holly and. Um, I'm
0: going to look that up, because I used to watch a show when I was a kid called Just the Ten of Us, just the and, ten of us. like, Heather Langenkamp from Night on Elm Street was on it, and it was, like, about, like, this dad, and there were, like, ten daughters he had or something. I don't know what it was. I think it was Lubbock, Texas, because as soon as you said it, like, that kind of came to mind. I got to look up Lubbock and why I know it so well. Uh, but anyway, so it's Star, Starbucks and, what's it, Starbucks and Comics?
1: Starbucks and Comics, yeah. it's Starbucks and Comics, yes. okay.
0: Starbucks and Comics, Lubbock, Texas. Visit them, support small business.
1: The just the ten of us his his last name was Lubbock. The character Oh, okay,
0: maybe that's what it was. Was All he right. was
1: Coach Lubbock.
0: Coach Lubbock.
1: Okay, yeah, there we go.
0: See, uh, I'm not crazy. <laughs> i had something there in the back of my old dusty mind.
1: You know, I I was place. thought for half a shake that we were actually famous for, for something else besides I mean We'll take Buddy Holly, but you know every little bit—it's great.
0: Hey, Buddy Holly's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You know. uh, <laughs> That's pretty good. We got Chuck Berry. I'm from St. Louis, so we're Chuck Berry people. Uh,
1: I know his cousin Marvin.
0: Right. <laughs> his cousin Marvin. <laughs> you heard that new sound.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
0: Um, oh, for young people, that was a Back <laughs> to the Future reference. If you haven't seen that, go watch that movie. It's excellent.
1: Yes, uh, my kids like we're we watch that. Like I make sure. Anybody who I associate with has to know Back to the Future. Oh, such
0: a good movie.
1: Um, since we got off on the little tangent there about local comic shops... Uh, yes. Real <laughs> you know, quick, I'm, I mean... I'm
0: prone to tangents. I gotta warn you, I'm a tangential kind of guy. Are yes,
1: we, we are a tangential network. If we hadn't already decided on the Night Nerd, we'd probably be the tangent. But, <laughs> which would be a great superhero. Anyway, uh, <laughs> when it comes to local comic shops and things, mm. uh, I... I love ours they let us do like we have a shelf of recommended reading that they let us recommend things we get to do a lot of events there and everything i just want to know your opinion on um the local comic shop versus the amazon and barnes noble versus uh digital i mean i i'll admit i partake of all three i do everything i can at my lcs but I know that there are time and places and things. Um, what's what's your opinion on those?
0: Oh wow! I mean, this this is this is how you launch a presidential campaign, right? <laughs> um, well, you know, I believe that the lifeblood of America lies in small business. But that's actually true. Like, I do. I do believe that the lifeblood of America lies in small business. You know, small businesses are tied to their communities. They are usually of the community and for the community. And. Um, I think it's important to not just have these super chains or digital outlets when we do our transactions because you know, the personal relationship that you have with a with a with a manager or, you know, like a cashier, someone who sees you and knows you and cares about you. You know, I grew up in a in a city that's kind of a, a big small city, I would call St. Louis. And my local shop when I was growing up was a place called Star Clipper. So any of the St. Louis and listening here, go visit Star Clipper, they're awesome. I think they're downtown But when I was growing up, they were well, about a 10 minute walk away from my, my house. And, you know, you'd go in there and you would feel comfortable. Like you knew the uh, the people there and they could recommend things to you because they knew what you liked. You could get into hour and a half discussions about whether Thanos could, you know, beat the Hulk in a fist fight. You know, you know, and like all these, all these uh, moments that I think help plant the seed of the love you have for modern mythology and genre stories. So I, you know, people can say, well, you know, I can go to Amazon and it's cheaper on Amazon, and it, it is, it is, and digital or cheaper. And look, I have nothing against people that shop at Amazon or you know, um, you know, shop digitally or what have you, or go to big box stores. But I think part of what you get from your local shop it isn't just the book for the cover price of the book. It's also the consideration and the service you get from a bunch of people who, you know, know your spending habits, know your taste and the environment that you have where it's not just a transaction. You know, Amazon, the experience of Amazon is largely a transaction. That's all it is. You type something into a search engine, you find it, you press a button, you get it. You're not going to make a friend that day, right? Or that moment. You know, you're not going to, um, you know, have like a stimulating conversation. I think, you know, it's it's important to support support the shops. You know, and, and that's part of what really bothers me when I see writers uh, who are pushing people away, you know, from their work. Because when you're when you're doing that, you're you're hurting the small businesses because those are customers that would come into the shop to pick up the work. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and look, everyone doesn't have to agree on everything, and it's a big country. We're going to have different feelings about things. That's okay. It's okay. But uh, I think we all have to work together kind of in this ecosystem between the creators and the fans and the shops and everything is better when we do it that way. You know, Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, I think it's it's a good thing. And and it's reading, too. You know, comics oftentimes are how kids learn how to read. I had a difficulty reading when I was a kid. I wasn't particularly uh, good at it. So I read comics and comics were the, the way that I became comfortable with doing a lot of reading. And then after that, I became a voracious reader and, you know, read the dictionary <laughs> and did all the stuff that you do. But, you know, comics were the first way that I experienced literature, then like my first relationship to books, because these were my own books that I bought with my allowance. And the combination of personal ownership and a reading experience I probably was formative in terms of me being a, a professional storyteller today, so... Uh, I think they're they're a really important mainstay in in our culture, and I, and I hope to see uh, you know independent comic book shops around for a long, long time.
1: Yes, I, I agree. Every Wednesday, I take my two year old uh, and we go pick up our new books, and during the summer, we take our nine year old and with us, and we go always get our new books. Like you said, there's just something about looking and holding and talking and the the experience, like you said, and the the not just the personal one, but also the physical of seeing it and everything is, is really nice. Totally. Uh, so, speaking of comics, uh, back on the comic train, mm-hmm. right now, I, not just myself, but a lot of people on the internet, we there's a lot of talk about DC going through a second rebirth. Not because they need to, just because there's so much greatness going on in that company right now, in that house. And part of that is, you know, you're coming on Detective, you have Bendis coming on Superman, uh, Snyder on his Justice League stuff, and DC is a very interconnected house um, that, that I really like. You know, you definitely get that sense of all these people live in the same world and have conversations and yeah. and everything. How How is that experience, you know, working with... Everybody else there saying, okay, this is what my Batman's doing. This is what my Black Lightning's doing. Okay, you're using this character over here. How does, you know, making sure everybody mm-hmm. is playing with the toys in the same way.
0: Well, well, that part of the experience has been really fantastic. I mean, the moment that I spoke to DC about coming on board to do uh, this arc of detective, the, the next thing they did was set up a conversation between me and Scott Snyder and scott has been supportive of me for a long time you know when my image comic romulus came out like over a year ago i did a panel um i don't forget which convention it was it was probably was it san diego might have been san diego i don't know it was some convention and i was doing a panel and, and scott was on it was like an image comics panel and he was the nicest guy you know he you wouldn't know that he is the guy that's created some of the seminal stories that he's created, you know, not even just the Batman stuff. I mean, you know, American vampire, witches. you know, it's all great work. So he was really supportive and he told me, first and foremost, he wanted me to tell the story I wanted to tell. Um, you know, Dan DiDio uh, has been enormously supportive of of me and and uh, the, the work that I'm trying to do, you know, in that world and that character. Uh I sent Tom King uh, like an email the other day, to saying, "Hey man, I had a couple of questions. You know, here's my number. Just give me a call whenever you can." Uh, and he gave me a call in like six minutes.
1: Wow!
0: <laughs> you know, and I, and I pick up the phone, and it's Tom on the other end. I'm like, "Whoa, okay, here's here's Tom King," and, and I have a tremendous respect for Tom Tom's work because. I was kind of feeling a little burnt, a little stale on comics. And then I read Sheriff of Babylon, and it sort of turned out—you know—turned around my whole perspective. Of the work that he and Mitch were doing on that book edited by Jamie Rich, um, you know, that kind of reinvigorated my love of the medium in a way. Because uh, you, know, you, you, you write in a bunch of different forms, and I write things all the time. Sometimes you start to get a little burnt out, but you know, that sort of opened up a door in my head. Like, hey, you can get this kind of stuff done in the book, too. You can express yourself this way. So all those guys have been incredibly supportive and generous to me. And I have a tiny footprint compared to your Tom Kings and your, you know, your Scott Snyder's and, you know, your Dan DiDio's and folks like that. You know, I'm just over here you on know, tiny, tiny little packs. It's like the first Superman movie. Like I got I got Otis Berg written in marker on the map. Like that's <laughs> all I am. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, but they let me keep Otis Berg <laughs> on the map. They don't, you know they don't stare at me and, and wait for me to wipe it off. <laughs> and they let me keep my little Sharpie town you know, on the map, and I, I think it's really great. And part of it is they're so genuinely excited about the work that they're doing over there. You know they they love those stories that, that they're telling, and you can tell that it shows up there. But I, I think the same thing exists over at Marvel as well. I haven't done as much Marvel work. You know I've just done uh, a totally awesome Hulk one shot for Monsters Unleashed and. Um, I'm doing this Miles Morales annual with my friend Nelson that comes out later this year. So my Marvel experience is certainly less than my DC experience, but um, I think in general, you know, people are are welcoming to new people into the paradigm because you know it's new people and new ideas and new energy that keeps the whole thing going.
1: That that's cool. That's cool that it's off the page is the same as on the page. That you know you guys have that shared world um, experience because like I said it, it definitely comes across you can tell everybody is is to working together to tell these great stories that you know hopefully five, 10, 20 years now you know we'll be showing our kids and so on and um, that, that's great.
0: Well I mean you know ultimately it's about the people that read the books And so I do this work for everyone who's listening to me right now you know I do the work for you guys because I want to give you guys the best experience I can. Uh, And I think all of the creators that, at least I have talked to, that that work in this business, they they want the same thing. That's that's what motivates them, is how do I create a really great experience for readers by using my own perspective? And I think if you humble yourself in that way, you are going to do better work, um, and I think people are going to sense that you care about you know, the money they're spending, the time they're spending. I always joke about how a comic book costs as much as a sandwich. So I got to make sure that if you buy one of my comic books, you think that was worth a sandwich. Um, But I mean that because the books aren't free for people. Like they have to spend their hard earned money on it. And I don't know what percentage of someone's weekly budget my comics are. Could be a very small percentage, could be a larger percentage. I don't know. But I, I... I'm genuinely grateful for everyone who, who spends the money and the time on the work, so uh, that's something I think we all have in common, you know, that that we care about what people are getting out of our work um, as much as we care about what we're getting out of your work, you know. We probably care about other people even more.
1: Yeah. Um, on, on that, you know, I know you said you've been busy with all these crazy, awesome, exciting projects that we can't talk about all of them, but... What what are you reading? I mean, is there anything, any books that you're like, hey, no matter what, I have to read this every month. I have to have this certain title every month. Um, you know, yeah, what, what well, are your must-reads? On, must the, on reads?
0: the monthly side, uh, I'm really enjoying Tom King's Batman. I think it's really interesting. Um, the the way he's sort of delving into Bruce and his personal needs and the Bruce and Sleeve thing, I think that's really fascinating. I haven't really been following... Because I can't, I don't have time to read so many monthlies all the time. Mm-hmm. So I tend to to kind of catch up when I can catch up. Uh, Donnie Cates' Doctor Strange work has been really good. I haven't read all of it. What I've read has been excellent, and I think Donnie Cates in general is really a fantastic writer. So uh, everyone would be well served by by taking a look at his work. Um, more more than read current things, I read a lot of older things a lot. You know, I'm, I'm the type of guy who reads Dark Knight Returns probably every 35 days, you know, I'll read Batman year one, you know, a little bit every week, you know, uh, Arkham Asylum is one of my mainstays, you know, Craven's last hunt, you know, I'll, I'll take a look at that. So I tend to do more rereading of older works than reading of newer works, um, in terms of being, you know, on a consistent monthly basis. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I think Charles Sewell's work on Darth Vader has been really fascinating. I mean, there's there's tons of good stuff out there. But yeah, I think those are the, the titles that come to my head at the moment.
1: Nice. Um, I will say, you know, you mentioned Donnie and Charles and a couple of you guys. You are actually, um, I don't think I told you this off mic, so surprise, you're actually the first DC writer we've had on the show. Um, oh, really? Yeah, we've had a couple of guys from Marvel, and so it's it's always nice to see the the same but different dynamics there. And um, that that being said, and talking about your rereading stuff, there's the old Marvel style way of writing, which they don't use a whole lot anymore, you know. And then there's like DC, and you're also uh, a script writer in things. When you're when you sit down to write, do you write in a different form for every medium, different mediums, or do you write in the same form for every medium?
0: Well, every medium has its different needs, you know, so you can't really write the same for for all of them. Uh, You know, screenwriting has a very specific format, and I've done a lot of it, so I'm feeling... I'm pretty comfortable there. I have an innate sense of structure. I know how many pages I need for my acts, and, you know, my act breaks and the rest of it, so I go from a pretty loose outline. Uh, When it comes to comics, I'm a little tighter about it, because comics is very difficult in terms of economy you just don't have a lot of space to do your work for instance if you're going to do a splash page it's not just one page it's the page that leads up to the splash page and the page that leads out from the splash page right so every splash page is a three-page sequence really uh so you know three pages is a significant chunk of a 20-page book even a 22-page book is a significant chunk so the economy is a little challenging. So in comics, I tend to do a lot of outlining, uh, you know, and, and a little more kind of piece by piece as I put that together. With screenwriting, I'm a bit more fast and loose uh, because I've written scripts a lot and just kind of, kind of have a feeling of, okay, I need to get on to my next plot point. You know, I'll go ahead and get that on. And then, and then obviously you go back and you make the draft better. It's not like I write something and I would send it to somebody. No, no, no. But I could get through a first draft kind of on instinct and then come back in there and refine it. With comics, I'm a bit more meticulous. I'm a little step by step.
1: Nice. That's that's always, I always like to see, you know, the the process. Hear about the process because um, it's, you know, different different approaches and things are always good. There may be somebody out there who is wanting to get in the business and they're like, oh, I've never even thought about doing it like this. And I always, that's why I always like to see what uh, the professionals, you know, what, what how y'all do it and the way you go about things.
0: Yeah, like when I started, I would write the story as a script, like a screenplay. And then I would adapt my script into a comic book script. And that was how I, when I first started writing books regularly, like Postal, you know, when I first started writing those issues regularly, that's how I would do it. But then I found that even doing that, I was limiting myself in terms of what I could do with the comic. Because there are just certain techniques you can use in a comic that you wouldn't use in a screenplay no matter what so by starting with a screenplay format i was skipping some technique stuff that could have been useful so over time as i got more comfortable with it and the great thing about writing comics is you have a very short feedback loop between the time that you're writing something and the time that you're getting feedback from real people Mm. in screenwriting it could take forever or you'd never get feedback on a script you can make a decent amount of money on a screenplay, and maybe 12 people in the world will see it. But in a comic, you know, when you write a comic, you will get feedback pretty quickly, and you'll see like what people are responding to, what they're not responding to. Sometimes you're okay with people not responding to something because you think it's part of a larger thing. Sometimes you're not okay with people not responding to something, and you need to make that more compelling. So the, the combination of writing more books on a regular basis and also getting feedback got me a little more comfortable uh and then i would start letting go of the screenplay format and just start off with an outline because i had written enough books to get to the point where i knew when i had 20 or 22 pages of story
1: nice uh that's I, i'm processing all this i'm like wow that's ingenious that is lots of knowledge and that's great way to do things. <laughs> oh,
0: it's called learning by repeated failure. It, you'll you'll find that that is uh, a mainstay of my career. Uh, anytime I, I say something that sounds ingenious, trust me, it's backed up by 10 years of doing it wrong.
1: That's, I mean, that, that's one thing, though, I think creators more so than a lot of people, uh, a lot of professions in, in the world, you know, you have to roll with the punches, learn from your mistakes and learn, okay, you know, this may be the way, like you said, this may be the way I do it, but I'm not getting the feedback. I'm not getting the results. So you have to change everything or not everything always, but, you know, constantly be making tweaks. And I think that that's another reason uh, going back to our Twitter conversation uh, that as a creator, you know, you're fluid in, in, your relationships between your readers and your work because you know, you want, like you said, at the end of the day, tell these great stories that everybody enjoys reading as much as you enjoy producing, and that, that synergy is something that I, I've always really admired in the comic book industry.
0: Well, you know, it's like um, my wife jokes uh, about me doing my Batman thing. And what she means by my Batman thing is when I look at a situation from different viewpoints and try to break down a strategy to overcome adversity, you know, and it irritates her because I, I, it's very difficult. Like, it's a hard thing to do to get me to like rile up. I'm just not an easily riled person. I'm not an easily offended person. You know, I'm pretty much this way. I'm, I, I try to be as chill as possible or as long as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. So when problems arise, I just try to Batman my way through it. And writing was no different. You know, like that's, that's the power of storytelling. You know, when you find yourself in a situation and you're like, okay, I don't know how to handle this, you just sit back and look to yourself, well, what would Bruce Wayne do? Okay, he would break this down, and then he would tackle it in simple steps, and then he would accomplish the goal. And so one of my mottos is, there's no such thing as complexity. Complexity is a myth. Uh, Everything is a series of simple steps. Some things just have way more simple steps than others. But... When we focus on complexity, we're trying to accomplish everything at the same time, and you can't. You can only accomplish, like, one thing at a time, basically. It's a, like a, fo- a football analogy. Um, you know, don't worry about touchdowns. Just score first downs. You score first downs. Touchdowns will take care of themselves. So when it comes to writing, I, I feel the same way. You know, if, if anyone listening to this wants to write a novel or write a screenplay or write a graphic novel, don't worry about the finished product. Don't think about the novels. Don't think about the screenplay. Just write a page. If everyone listening to this started writing a page a day on their birthday, by their next birthday they would have three hundred and sixty-five pages of something. Right? That's a novel. You know, that's a couple screenplays. and three three screenplays, I think. That's a whole mess of comic book scripts. Yeah. So, you know, if you if you just do that, the, the rest of it will take care of itself. Uh, and and I learned that kind of approach literally from reading stories, right? And that's the power that mythology has for us. It can help us overcome issues. It can teach us methods of success. You know, that's why I'm so invested into it, because I hope that someday some of the work that I do might leave someone with a notion or a strategy that will help them in their own personal lives. And the cycle of, you know, abundance and generosity can kind of continue that way.
1: I, uh, yeah, when, you know, with that, uh, I just had this picture of you doing your Batman thing in the, the Batman voice. Yes. and My Batman thing. <laughs> that's, uh, you know, the analogy there is, is something that the simplicity of it, like you talk about, that is just beautiful because there's a certain beauty about simplicity, and I think it makes things more open and appealing to people because I, I know people who want to be screenwriters want to be novelists. And yeah, they, they look at 50,000 words instead of 500 words a day or something like that. And...
0: Yeah. You just, you know, that's, that's debilitating to think about the largesse of the accomplishment at the outset, you know, it'll shut you down. And a lot of this I also picked up from martial arts. You know, I studied martial arts for a long time. Uh, I'm not as, Dedicated to it now as it used to be because I you know, luckily for me. I write more than I fight Because um, I wasn't a particularly good fighter but much better writer than I am a fighter no matter how bad of a writer you think I am I was a worse fighter, <laughs> but when I would spar you know and and Be in those situations You would realize you can't worry about the fight just moment to moment, you know, it's a moment-to-moment moment thing. And if you can keep yourself in the moment of you know where you are and and focus on that then you can do a lot of things you think you wouldn't be capable of, you know? And and it wasn't easy for me. You know, when I first started trying to do anything with my life, you know, it was like Yoda said, you know, always stick to the future never your mind. Never mind where you are, what you were doing. And that was me, you know, I was Luke, you know, in that moment, being told by Yoda that I'm not in the present, I'm not in the now, you know, I'm always looking at the horizon and thinking about what I want to be rather than what I can do at the moment. So, yeah, so, like, all these things are, are, are just, you know, things I've picked up, you know, from life and from stories, and they all wind up in the work, because I'm always trying to kind of share what's helped me within the work somewhere, and that, going back to comics, makes Batman really fascinating for me, because Batman is a treasure house of personal strategy. That's, like, what he is, really, you know? And the idea of having characters like Sandra and Duke and... Uh, uh, Tim Drake and you know, whoever else you want to bring in there Barbara Gordon, Dick Grayson, whoever it is you know, how does Batman show them how he was able to overcome his stuff you know, and how can the lessons he's learned help other people and that's the stuff that just gets me excited about typing
1: you just, you really are Batman, like with the fighting and the thinking and and everything I'm, I'm,
0: mu- I'm much shabbier than Batman <laughs>
1: Maybe like Adam West Batman. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you, know, you know what?
0: I could I could definitely be Adam West Batman.
1: Um, that uh, next to last question, talking about all this Batman stuff. Yeah. When, who who is your Batman? Is it West? Is it uh, Conroy? Who who's your who is your oh, Batman? Oh gosh.
0: You know, it's like an amalgam of of there's aspects of every Batman that I I really like well almost every batman <laughs> um i i'm i'm always going to be sort of a michael keaton guy because i was a kid when i saw that movie and it's hard to beat that experience now i will say that keaton's batman killed people and i don't think batman kills people thank but you but i i do like how he was able to really capture the dichotomy between bruce and batman um, how they were almost like two different people, you know, and 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 they were they were competitive a little bit, you know, for who who was in charge. Uh, in the '89 Batman, it's there and it's super present in the in, in Batman Returns. Even though Batman Returns is somewhat flawed movie in some ways, the Bat Selena, you know, Bruce Selina Bat Cat stuff I think is really good. Um, but I also like Bale. You know, I think Bale has the, the, the mythic journey of Bruce Wayne is, is told really well in his movies, and there's a quiet intensity to bail. Like, my favorite moments in the, in the Nolan movies aren't the Batman moments. They're the Bruce Wayne moments. There's two of them. I think they're both in Dark Knight. The first is when he gets done praising Harvey Dent in his penthouse and then walks to his balcony and tosses the champagne over the side. It's just such a Bruce Wayne thing to do you know, I just pretended to be this arrogant drunk rude and I'm going to walk out here by myself and toss the champagne out. Cause I'd never drink champagne cause it would make me loose. Um, and then the other moment is when he takes the Lamborghini and he drives up to stop, uh, the, the ramming car from hitting the car with, uh, with, with Reese in it, you know, and he's sitting out there on the red car and, and, uh, you know, Gary Oldman, commissioner Gordon is like, that's a brave thing you did. And he's like, what catching the light? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you didn't, Mister Wayne. You weren't trying to protect that guy. Why? Why? Who, who's he? And you know the the way that Bale will in, immediately snap into the characterization of a guy that wants to deflect the fact that he's a hero. I mean, a lot of that Batman was about. I don't want to be an element of this. I'm trying to create something for Gotham that's bigger than I am. Um, so I dug that. You know. Uh, Conroy is awesome because I think he encapsulates the spirit of Batman really well like Conroy to me is the best working Batman we have meaning that's Batman being Batman every day and I think Conroy does a great job um doing that uh but yeah those are the people I pay attention to I mean look I'll, I'll, I'll be honest I I have a soft spot for the uh the moments between Alfred and Bruce and Batman and Robin um I think Clooney does a decent job in those scenes. You know, uh, there's a tenderness to him and a recognition that Alfred might be his father, like symbolically. Mm-hmm. That I think is that I think is valuable. Um, but yeah, most of the time I think about Keaton and Bale. You know, especially for this arc of detectives, there's a lot of Keaton and Bale in this Batman.
1: There's a a little I don't really want to say meme because it's not funny, but a little infographic I guess floating around the internet I saw. The other day, they talked about Michael Keaton showed us how freaky the world of Batman is. Kilmer showed us how tortured his soul is. Clooney showed that Batman, even Batman, needs his family. And Bell showed like how real and dangerous the world of Batman is. So I think that's a really, you know, kind of like how you said they each have their different things that they bring to the table. Um, I'm a Ben I Affleck so. apologist. Like I love Ben Affleck in literally everything he's ever done, even Jersey Girl. So... Okay, see,
0: you, you, make a, you make a very good point. Like, I don't have anything against Ben. And uh, I actually met him once in a, in a meeting. He was a very nice guy. Um, but because those movies came out so soon after the Nolan films, I literally forget them, right? Because it's like they're not – the Nolan films aren't ancient by any means. They're still relatively new, right? They're still pretty recent. So the Affleck Batman just hasn't had time to settle in for me. But yeah, he did do some great things. It's funny. I, I literally did not think of Ben Affleck until you said it because immediately my mind goes from from, from Bale to Keaton. Yeah. <laughs> I just start with Bale and go to Keaton. So that's no shade thrown at Ben's performance. Um, I tell you what, he does have a really beautiful moment when he's talking to Alfred about the Waynes being hunters in Batman versus Superman, I think it is. Yeah, because he's getting ready to hunt Superman. So he's got this really beautiful monologue. Um, I, maybe Chris Terrio did that. I'm not sure who wrote it, but I, I thought it was like really, really nice uh, and a, a, a really good articulation of the character. You know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing Ben do another movie, like his own Batman film, divorced from a group of other superheroes. Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to stick around or not, um, but if he does, I think that could be really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a whole another. That's a tangent that we'd be here for yeah. a few hours. But uh, <laughs> oh, there we go. Um, well, cool. well, before before you leave, you know, we've hit yeah. on a few things that you have coming up. Um, the detective, the yeah. Miles Morales. Um, what other things can people expect to see from you uh, this year?
0: Oh well, um,
1: that you can talk by about the time
0: you're by the time you're hearing this. Uh, you might still be able to find issues with my Hong Kong Fui Black Lightning crossover one-shot. The, those might still be around, so pick that up because it's beautifully absurd, and Dennis Cowan did the art with Billson Kevich, and I'm just elated over the fact that that book exists. Uh, I'm also currently writing the kind of reboot, reimagining... It's not really a reboot, but it's more like, kind of like a, a, a reimagining of Cyberforce, uh, and I think will be an issue three still when this podcast airs so you can catch up on that one that's through top cow i working with matt hawkins and mark Silvestri on that one um and i think we're uh uh gonna do at least like 12 if if not 24 on that one um i'm also launching a book it's kind of like a graphic novel really it's a it's a it's based in the cyber force universe but it's Sort of its own kind of modern science fiction action fable. It's a uh, basically Aphrodite Five, the green haired the beautiful green haired assassin of the cybersource universe. And this story is this L.A. potboiler combination of Ghost in the Shell and RoboCop and Tony Scott movies. Really, that uh, I'm super proud of because Jeff Spokes did such a fantastic job on that art, and it's just wall to wall action really in that in that 80s feeling vibe it takes place in the near future but it it really does have an 80s feel i think uh, for the experience so don't miss that um other than that i I got some stuff but i can't really talk about it (laughs) uh but it will be announced soon so i'll tell you what anyone listening to this if you think i'm interesting at all and i haven't annoyed you too much follow me on twitter my Twitter is Brian Edward Hill. It's just at Brian Edward Hill. That's Brian with a Y. Why? Because we like you. Follow me on, on Twitter, and I will give you all my new announcements there. I mean, that tends to be where I do most of my social media. I, If you add me to Facebook, I will add you whenever I log into Facebook, which is essentially once a month at this point. So I don't do a lot of communication there. And Instagram is mainly for my photography. I'm also a photographer, so... I leave my Instagram for more of my photography, my filmmaking work. Um, but Twitter is where I do most of the communication with my fans. I keep my DMs open so you can send me a message anytime. Be polite if you can. Uh, I probably won't respond to you if you're not. But, um, yeah, yeah, that's probably it, man. Just uh, you know, follow me on there, and as I can announce things, um, I will uh, let them go.
1: Nice. Well, we look forward uh, yeah, I have Hong Kong Fooey on my pull list. I will be picking it up.
0: Oh yes, yeah, let me know what you think when you read it.
1: Oh, I will. I'm I'm a Hong Kong phuy man. I love Let
0: love me it. check my Hong Kong book of Hong Kong Kung Fu. Yeah, that I was, I was that dude. I, I love that character. I tooth and nail, tooth and nail I fought to be able to get to the to tell that story. I'm very proud
1: of that. Nice. Yeah. Uh yeah, I'll definitely let you know. That's top of my, my read list tomorrow. I'm really excited. But right on. Uh, I just As excited as we were to have you on here, Um, again, I want to say thank you so, so very much. Uh, Everybody out there listening, there's all these great books that you need to go pick up and check out. Uh, Like you said, everything, including the Detective Comics run, so many wonderful, wonderful things. Um, Again, I cannot express enough gratitude uh, for, for you being here and how great you are and how much fun this has been.
0: Oh, this has been awesome. Well, thank you very much uh, for having me. And then after the Titan show is broadcast and I can do a little talking about it, uh, maybe I'll come back and and share some anecdotes from that after I can actually speak about what you watch. Nice, (laughs) nice. uh, Until then, really appreciate being on your podcast, man. Uh, Enjoy yourself down in Lubbock, Texas. Thank you, sir. All righty. Talk soon. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, one day